Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Church family, I'm glad to be with you guys. Romans 8 is where I want you. Grab your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one on the seat back in front of you. And Romans 8 is where I want you. Romans 8 is in the New Testament. We've been in the Old Testament for a while. We're moving into the New Testament. We're starting a new sermon series called Love. Now, before we even get into any of that, I also just want to bring to your attention that for the last three days, we have hosted a church planting training uh, in our church uh, for local church planters. Um, Austin was able to attend Uh, which is really cool because we're training him up in the Lord for ministry in that way. Um, Kirk is in the same track. So uh, there were several individuals who came together to make that happen. And I wanted to say thank you to you all as well. Uh, Thank you for making that happen from feeding us to also housing people who attended. That was a huge blessing for us. So thank you for serving. On another note, uh, Veterans Day, like what we just did, the whole time I just had the biggest smile on my face because I grew up doing it the exact same way. In my home church, we did that. We celebrated because we believed that there's no greater love than this, that he laid his life down for his friends. So we thank you for loving us veterans. We appreciate that very much. Now, let me tell you where we're going into next year, because God has kind of given some vision and clarity on on what I believe uh, he wants to uh, lead us in his word into. So obviously we're starting a new series on love today, and that's going to go for the rest of November. And then Advent, we're actually going to be in a series called Fear Not, right? Because that seems to be the announcement of the arrival of Christ. Any place where Christ is going, he says, fear not. And then next year, at the start of next year, it hasn't necessarily come together in full, but I believe that God is uh, leading us into a series on transformation on how we grow in our relationship with Christ, how we grow in conformity or transforming into the image of Christ. And we've already spent a lot of time talking on that, but there's a lot of clarity that I think still needs to be provided for all of us so that we can grow in our relationship with Jesus. So that's where we're going. And that'll take us probably into January, February, maybe even March, right? And then after that, uh, I know we're gonna be doing a series on the church, uh, on what we believe about the church. There's some things that we have to unlearn and then relearn in the right way. And then after that, we're gonna be honing right in on our vision and our core values. And that'll probably put us into next fall. So is that vision? I didn't know God would do that. I, he did, so I'm grateful for that. But again, we kind of open the, our hands up to that and say, God, do whatever you want. So let me set this up a little bit for us because we're gonna be here for three weeks though we could be here for an eternity, right? In mid-July, we started that series called A Glimpse of Glory, right? We talked about the glory of our God and the God's glory is what? The beautiful perfections of his sovereign character. I heard you, I heard you in the back, well done. God's beautiful perfections. Basically, it's just how beautifully perfect he is and all he is, right? He's beautifully perfect and we spent our 13 weeks, our last 13 weeks on that concept, on that idea, on exploring the actually finite of it, finite part of it on the infinity that it is. And one of the things that we talked about, right, was that God is triune, he's Trinity, right? Meaning he's three in one. And if that be the case, then at the core of who God is, in other words, at the heart of who God is, is love. Loving relationship lies at the very heart of the essence of God being Trinity, 
I mean, so because love is at the core of God's heart, because love lies at the core of his existence, we find everything flowing out of that. His grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his compassion, his generosity, his kindness, his faithfulness, all based on unfailing love, right? In fact, 1 John talks about how the fact that God is love. It's one of the only things that we see God is an attribute. God is love. And out of his essence, out of who he is, he's set his love on us. Out of the very existence of who he is, he's decided and determined to love you and me. In fact, John 15, John 15 says that God loves you and me the very same way that he loves his own son, Jesus. Have you, have you thought about that? Have you, maybe have you thought about the fact that before anything existed, before you were even born, God loved you in all of your fullness? Actually, even before time was even ticking, God had set his love on you. He knew you very intimately. And he set you apart to experience his love. And you know what that means? That before any of your failures had entered into the timeline of history and in full view of every single one of them, God still decided, I love you so much that I'm gonna die on the cross for you so that I could have you back. In full view of all your failures, he said, I love you infinitely. So much so that he went to the greatest lengths imaginable. He incurred the judgment that you and I rightly deserved, reconciling us back to God in full relationship with him because he was impelled by love. So if, if, if and since it is true that at the very heart of who God is, is love, Holy love, I think, I think it would make sense for us to spend a lot of time just talking about what it means for you and I to live in that love, to rest in that love, to fully experience that love. And I wanna take a, a deep dive at this. And, and, and some of you are probably feeling the same way that I feel sometimes about this, right? Because if you attend here every week, you will hear the words, God loves you, right? You hear that all the time. So much so that it does nothing here. It's almost like, um, it's almost like a, a fragrance or an aroma, right? So every day I, I have this habit of putting on cologne if I'm gonna be around people. And at the start of the day, I can smell it when I put it on. But by the end of the day, I can't smell it at all. But people, other, other people can. You kind of get used to it. If kind of, and actually it's so much so that it doesn't inspire you or stir anything in you. It doesn't smell good anymore. It's just there. It's dangerous to, to constantly hear about God's love and let our hearts grow cold to that or even numb. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to really spend some time talking about this because God may truly say, hey, did you consider this part? Have you looked at this part of it? Have you seen how amazing this facet of it is? Because truthfully, we can never exhaust the love of God. We could never stop discovering it. So that's why we're gonna be in this series on love. And if I could give you just the main thrust of what everything in this series is ultimately gonna be about in one sentence, it's going to be this. 
in Christ, God loves you. He is for you and nothing in the universe can change that. Can we read that together? One, two, three. In Christ, God loves you. He is for you and nothing in the universe can change that. You guys, so we're gonna argue this from Romans 8, verse 31 through 39. That's gonna be the next three weeks starting today. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Now I'll tell you this, a friend of mine shared with me about how he was having lunch with somebody who he's known his whole life, who's never really cried at all. And he was having lunch with this guy and he was bawling because they were talking about how amazing Romans 8 is. He was bawling his eyes out because he was growing in confidence of just how for him God is based on what he was reading in Romans 8 alone. Now, if you've never studied through Romans 8, if you think it's just way too high, you're wrong. I hope that this next three weeks stirs you to really dive into Romans chapter 8 very deeply. Because some, I'll tell you this, some theologians would argue, and rightly so, that what we're about to read, the passages that we're about to study for the next three weeks are some of the most important, some of the most valuable, some of the best, some of the most excellent words that have ever been penned by anyone in all of history. Now for this morning, we're only gonna be in verses 31 and 32. So I'm gonna recite those for you guys as you read along. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is the word of the Lord. So if you like to write out an outline for what the morning's gonna be. If you're a type A person, you just like the details, this morning's in two sections. The first is gonna be the divine disposition and the second is gonna be the divine logic. The divine disposition and the divine logic. Let's start off with the divine disposition, verse 31, right? The passage starts off with the words, what then shall we say to these things? What does he mean by that? Right? Because I'll tell you what we're doing, honestly. To be honest, we're kind of skipping the meat and potatoes and heading right for the dessert of Romans 8. And I don't have a problem with that at all. I know some of us don't either. Like, why save the best for last if we're just going to be full by the time we get there? Let's eat the best now. So we're eating the dessert. What then shall we say to these things? What is Paul referring to when he says these things? Well, you could argue that it's the whole letter of Romans up to that point but you can most definitely be assured that it refers to everything that's written out in Romans 8. And let me just give you a brief, like, here's here's some meat and potatoes thrown at you. See if if you can eat them, right? It says this. It says in verse 1, we who are in Christ have been acquitted of all our sins. There's nothing, anything longer to condemn us before God. In verse 15, it says that you and I have been adopted as children of God. It says in verse 17 that because we've been adopted, then we become co-heirs with Christ. In other words, everything that Christ gets from his dad in heaven, we get from his dad in heaven because we are now co-heirs. It says in verse 23 that you and I as followers of Jesus have been filled with the spirit of God who's the guarantee of our final redemption on that day and our future glory. 
He also says in verse 26 that this Holy Spirit also carries us before the Father and prays for us and actually communicates our prayers to the Father in such a way that we don't even understand because sometimes, you know, we don't know how to pray well and we need God's Spirit to intercede for us in that way. And I just gave you like a tiny crumb. Isn't it amazing to be a follower of Jesus? Isn't it amazing to be found in Christ? So what then could we say to those things? What can we say? Those things are amazing. Those are the most precious blessings that we have in Christ. Well, Paul answers that. What then shall we say to these things? All of these things, all these amazing truths. What then shall we say to these things? What does he say? Since God is for us, or if God is for us, who could be against us? When he puts it as if God is for us, obviously he's arguing, yeah, duh, God is for us. And since that's true, then who could really be against us? Now, I think the thing that we have to do real quick is just qualify what Paul means when he says us. And this is where it gets a little hard, a little dicey, but it has to be said, right? What does he mean by us? Who is the us that he's including himself in? Who gets to jump in this boat? Well, according to the first, I think according to some of the verses beforehand, right? He's referring to those who love God. He's referring to those who have, I'm gonna use a word, been predestined to be like Jesus. That's what he says. Whether you're Calvinist or Arminius, it says he has been predestined to be like Jesus. They have been called, they've been justified, and they have been glorified. In other words, Paul is saying the us is those who have been saved by Jesus Christ alone. Those who belong to Jesus. In other words, if you do not believe upon Jesus for your salvation, if you do not receive Jesus for all that he is in reality, if you don't love him, if you're not following him, then I'll say this because I, I, I love you deeply. You are not in the us and you're actually standing on the outside looking in at God's affectionate love for his church because you've, you've not received Jesus. I know that's harsh, but this is, this is the truth of the word, right? So don't, don't hate the messenger. But here's what's even harder. If that's, if that's you, if you've not received Jesus and you're on the outside looking in at God's love for his bride, the church, not only are you on the outside looking in, but God actively opposes you. Proverbs three thirty six that God scorns the scorners says in James 4, 6, that God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. He stands against the prideful person who's unwilling to submit their lives to the lordship of Jesus. I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you and I are, are, are like willingly unable to surrender our lives to Christ and receive Jesus for all that he is, then that means that God is against you and me. And one pastor put it this way. He said, I can't think of anything more fearful to hear than that God is against me. Knowing who God is, 
Can you think of anything more terrifying, more fearful? To hear the words that God is against you? Well, for us who are in Christ, we don't have to wander very long. We don't have to imagine that very long. It's amazing how one word can move us. If we switch one word in that sentence, it can move us from utter terror and destruction to transport us into eternal delight and joy. One single word in that sentence, if you switch it around, can radically change the heart of every person. Think about it. This is what, is, this is what we're talking about here. We're saying this, in sin, if it'll switch, God is against me. But in Christ, God is for me. One word changes in that sentence and you are radically different. If you believe God is against you, you have every reason to terror. But if you are in Christ, if you're not still in your sin, but if you are in Christ, by faith alone, God is for you. Now, when we say God is for us, we gotta put some clarification on that, right? Because God ain't no hoorah cheerleader. He's not sitting on the sidelines of your life saying, yeah, you're just doing great, go. I like what you're doing every day. It's just so great, hoorah. Go spirit. God's not a cheerleader. He's not like everything you do in your life, he's just celebrating it. He's also, he also ain't your butler. That's not what it means that God is for you. He ain't no genie in a bottle. He's not serving your every wish and demand. That's not what God is for us even means. Got to get some clarity on that. Think back to the kind of relationship that we've been invited into. Children with a father. The way a father is for a son, a good father is for a son. That is what it means that God is for us. So, I'll tell you this. For those who know, uh, my firstborn, or my firstborn is actually Joelle. Hadley, our oldest, we had the privilege of adopting, and she knows it. And we also had uh, a second born, which is Isaac, our youngest child. So I got to observe the births of two of the three of my children. And I can tell you um, that when they came out of the womb and I saw them coming, right? To the moment that I heard them first cry, there was a kind of unstoppable love and a massive hatred that welled up in me. Because I said, I love this kid so infinitely that I hate anything that's going to radically destroy this child's life or rob them of joy or steal them from the abundant life that can be found in Christ. I hate anything that would take my kids away from that because I love them. That makes me for them. That's what it means to be for them. Now, let's just, let's just also realize something. We're talking about me, Scott Brud, six foot four, two pounds, being for my children. And I'm trying to compare that to God being for his. Guys, I'm comparing ants to galaxies. 
That, I mean, that, that, they don't compare really. Me being for my kids is one thing. God being for us, that radically changes the game. You know that, re- that this sentence wouldn't make sense if we didn't know the God who is for us? That's actually what one author says, right? He says, it's meaningless for us to be understanding that God is for us if we don't actually know the God who is for us because it could end up being a Scott Brud and that don't mean much. You need a God who's infinite, who's all powerful, who's the fiercest kind of love that you'll ever experience. That's the God who is for us. Guys, this is Yahweh we're talking about. The God that we talked about in the Old Testament, Exodus 34, the last 13 weeks. This Yahweh is the God who created everything, who said, hey, I want galaxies here. And his words flung the galaxies into their hanging. He imagined you. He put you together. This is the God we're talking about who is for us. And just how for you is he? That's the question we've got to ask. What's the standard? Just how for us is this God? Well, we could argue that before the foundations of the earth were even laid, before anything else existed, God had already determined in his heart a relentless love for us. That's one thing, but that's not a standard. The best answer to this question, when we ask just how for us is God in his love? One pastor and author, Greg Gilbert, he put it this way. He said this, to the degree that God is for his son, he is also for you. To the metric that God the father is for the good and the benefit of his own son, he is also for you and me. I mean, this is is what Romans five through eight is all talking about, right? What Jesus gets from the Father, we get from the Father. This is, this, is, this is God's divine disposition towards us. This is what we mean. God is for you. This is how he positions himself. Did you hear the switch at the beginning? He's no longer against us. He is for us. This is where he acts out of all the time. He is dispositionally for us because of Christ. Now you might be thinking, Wait a minute, Brad. I had this happen in my life. How could God be for me? This never happened in my life. I never got this. How could God be for me? This was taken away from me. How could God even be for me? How could a loving God be for me if this be true? Right, so I I realize the skepticism and there's a sensitivity there and I'm gonna answer your question with a question because you know that's how Jesus did it. If that's you, if you're asking like, how how could it even be true? I can't find this to be the truth that I've found in my life because of this, because I didn't have this or I didn't get this or this happened to me. If that's the question you're asking, let me ask you this question. Are you going to hold the truth of God suspect to your finite circumstances and understanding? 
if that's what you're going to do, then you are now acting as the authority over God, putting definitions and limits on his love. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I don't see too many people in scripture doing that and faring well. People who make themselves the authority over God. Guys, some, some, some of you, some of you view God as like the sheriff. He's just out to get you. Others, others think he's like a stingy dad. He don't want anything good with you. No, guys, God is always and entirely for us who are in Christ and he is never against us. Everything that he allows or actively does in your life is all out of the disposition that God is for you. So none of our sicknesses are a judgment from a condemning judge. None of our malfunctioning cars or failed appliances is a punishment from God. None of our marital strife is a sign of his wrath. None of our lost jobs is a penalty for our sin. None of our wayward children is the crack of the whip of God's retribution. Not a single second of being single or widowed is God withholding good from you or maliciously opposing you. If you are in Christ, no, God is for us, not against us. In and through all things, all ease and all pain, God is for us. And if it be true that God is for us, who in their right mind would ever set themselves against us? And yet, some will set themselves against us. The Christian life was not meant to be one of ease. Whether it's the government or media or people you've lovingly done life with for years and then they turn their back on you in a second. There will be times where things come against us. Tribulation distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. To quote later on, what Paul is saying is, if God is for us, then who or what in the universe can effectively or successfully be against us? And if they are, does it even matter? Guys, what Paul is saying here is not just simple schoolyard bully tactics. Well, my dad's bigger than your dad and my dad's gonna beat up your dad. He's gonna punch him in the jugular and knock him out. No, that's not what we're talking about here. No, this is an infinitely powerful God, right? This is warfare. This is where our God is actively seeking out all things that are at enmity with his plans and purposes and love for you and me. And he's finding them and he's aiming his war arrows at their faces and they will utterly be destroyed. I mean, is there anything or anyone ultimately who can oppose you more than God is for you? What's the answer, church? No, there is nothing or no one who can oppose you more than God is for you. 
God is the stronger man. Anything that is designed for evil against you and me, God repurposes it for good. The things that are against us, God works to be for us. So no one can successfully or ultimately, no circumstance can successfully come against us because God loves us. So this, just out of verse 31, the divine disposition of our God. God is for me. Can you say that with me? God is for me. One, two, three. God is for me. Do you believe that? Because he loves us. This is out of his love that he is for us. And that's gonna set us up with the second part of our morning. I'm looking at the time and I realize that, but that don't define this. This defines this, right? So let's, let's, let's press into the second part where we look at the first, we looked at the divine disposition. Second, we're looking at the divine logic in verse 32. Now I'm gonna give you a, 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 a term that describes the argument that Paul is getting ready to make. It's, called, it's in the Latin, it's called a fortiori, a fortiori. It's from the stronger. They're basically an argument that says, if, if I can bench press 250, then can't I bench press five? Yeah, right? That's a sound logic. Do you agree? If I can buy a Lamborghini, can I buy a Camry? Yep. He's making an argument from the stronger to the lesser. And this is the logic. This is the divine logic. It's an impenetrable argument that, that Paul uses to describe just how much God is for us. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave his own son up for us all, will God not also with Jesus graciously give us all things. Do you see the logic there? The argument from the stronger to the lesser? This is like this wide open glimpse into the gospel here where God didn't spare his own son. God didn't withhold any punishment from Jesus. Not one lash, not one groan, not one ounce of pain did he say, I'm gonna keep that from my son. No, he poured it all out over his own son, Jesus. I mean, think about that. Think about that. This is his own son. I mean, think about how many times in scripture we see God show up to save the day for so many broken people like you and me. Think about that, right? Think about it. The story of Isaac. God had commanded Abraham to sacrifice and, and God comes in and saves the day with the ram. Right? Or what about with Joseph when he was a slave and he was, uh, he was accused of having an affair where he was rightly to be condemned to death and then he exalts him, he rescues him out of that. What about Daniel in the lion's den? Right? What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? In the, in the furnace? What about the parting of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army bearing in on them? God rescues his people and yet for some reason, for his own son, there was no rescue. There was no deliverance for his own son. He gave his own son over to death in our place. It's the death that you and I deserved, the judgment that you and I rightly earned. No, God poured all of that out on his own son. He didn't spare his own son. He didn't even rescue his own son. He poured it out over all of them. Now listen to that logic. Just listen to that. Isn't that just absolutely absurd? Almost scandalous, right? Like how terribly scandalous would a father condemn his own son to death? 
that God would give up his own son for you and me. How crazy is that? Guys, I, I, I know that we're kind of new in this relationship. I love you deeply. I cannot think of a single circumstance where I would ever give up my son for any of you. And I love you. But that's my son, my only son. I hope you're not taking insult to that. Just put yourself in my shoes. I love you guys. There's no circumstance where I would ever give up my son for anybody else. Where I'd say, take my son's life for theirs. Spare them, those wretched people. Mm-mm, that ain't happening. But one commentator said this. It's a long quote, and I really think it's important. So I want you to read along. You don't have to read it out loud. Just read it up on the screen. Could God, would God overcome his cherishing, admiring, treasuring, white-hot, affectionate bond with his son and deliver him over to be lied about and betrayed and abandoned and mocked and flogged and beaten and spit on and nailed to a cross and pierced with a sword like an animal being butchered? Would he really do that? Would he hand over the son of his love? If he would, then whatever goal he is pursuing could never be stopped. If that obstacle were overcome in the pursuit of his good, every obstacle would be overcome. Can't you feel the weight of that? God's goal was our redemption, our reconciliation and our restoration because he loves us. That was his goal and he sent his son to die for that goal. God gave Jesus over to the horrors of the cross and to the horrors of the wrath of God for our sin. So can't you see the logic? If God was willing to do that, wouldn't he also just graciously give us all things that he knows we need? That's the logic. That's the divine logic, right? This is the distance God will go. God's logic, God gave up his son. What more do we need for God to prove his love for us? What else? There's nothing more that you could do. This is the distance that God went. This is the logic that we can argue. This is the stronger part of the argument. This is the impossible Brent's press. This is the unaffordable car that nobody could ever afford. And since it is true that God can lift up a million pound boulder, since it is true that God willingly gave over his son to judgment to spare us, to give us the greatest gift that we've ever received or could even imagine, if that be true, Then verse 32, how will he not also with his own son graciously give us all things? That's the logic. Graciously giving us all things is the easy part, right? That's that's the five pound pebble compared to the million pound boulder that God can lift. If he can lift a million pound boulder, he can lift a five ounce pebble. So will he not also graciously with his own son give us all things? That's what verse 32 is saying. How will he not also with Jesus give us all things in his grace? Now, when he says that, don't bounce back to the butler image. Don't bounce back to the genie in the bottle. It's not like, all right, I want a 2020 Ford Raptor. Boom, done, because I love you. I need $536 billion. All right, that's easy. I need a flawless spouse. Uh, That's a little bit harder, but I'll do it. 
No, this is, not, this is not the kind of love that we're talking about. This is not what this means when he graciously gives us all things. This isn't the promise of an American dream prosperity. Right? That's not the, what it means when he says he graciously gives us all things. He's not bent on fulfilling every single one of our wishes. I mean, I don't care if my kids, like, I mean, actually, let me say this. Do you think that I would care if my kids ate five gallons of ice cream and stayed up all night watching TV? Yeah, I'd care because I love them. I wouldn't give them that. If they wanted it, I'd say, no, that ain't good for your soul or your body or for me because I'm the one who's gonna deal with you the next day. Those things go against my purpose for my children. My purpose for my children is a thriving, joy-filled life. So when God says all things, he graciously gives us all things, it's the power and the grace that you and I need that is necessary for us to stand firm and persevere in this life of faith, right? So all the resources of heaven for us to be godly have been poured out over us and blessed us in the heavenlies. Everything has been supplied to us. All things has been given to us. I mean, if the greater is true that God gives us his only son, won't the lesser things be true? I mean, think about it. God clothes the flowers of the fields. Won't he also clothe you? He feeds the birds of the air. Won't he also give you food to eat because he knows you need them? I'm just quoting Jesus. Because of Jesus, God in this very moment is pouring out every spiritual blessing over you because he loves you. He is not withholding anything that he knows is good for you right now. No good thing does God withhold from those of you who walk uprightly. And yet it's so easy for us to question him, isn't it? It's so easy for us to sit here and think, okay, logically, I agree with this. That's sound logic. But I just, I got so many questions. God, I don't know if you're gonna be able to handle this that's coming up. I, I mean, I know my daughter got this diagnosis of cancer. Are you even holding her in your hands right now? Do you love my daughter? I know I just lost my mom. Did you, did you care about her? You could have healed her. Don't you love her? She believed in Jesus. God, why am I lacking this right now? Why am I single? Well, why don't I have enough money? Why is my car dead for the fourth time this week? Why don't I have close friends? Do you even love me? God's response, child, I gave you my son. most important thing that you ever needed. Don't you think I'll give you the things that you need as well? I love you. I am for you. It is because of God's love that we don't have to worry about our bank accounts. We don't have to fret over our families or our jobs. We don't have to have anxiety over our singleness or even who sits in the Oval Office. We don't have to fret when suffering comes our way. All because of God's 
love. So do you understand that God is for us and that is proven because he gave up his only son? Won't he also give us everything else that we need? Because he loves us. Guys, this is lavish, generous, beneficent love that seeks to bless with everything that we need. God loves you. Now, we could spend a few more minutes applying this into life. God loves me, so I should love my neighbor. This is how I should love my neighbor. And if I'm loving them, then I should be for them and I should use the stronger arguments, blah, blah, blah. We could do that. I want you to do that on your own time this week. That's not what I think we need right now. And there'd be benefit in you doing that. So don't, don't wander off from that. But what I want us to do in, 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 in sitting in this, in resting in this, I want us to receive this so that God would, cause his love for us to fall fresh yet again on our souls, especially for those of us who have grown weary. So I wanna actually work an exercise with you guys. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and try to control your thoughts. Don't be thinking about the, the games that are coming up this afternoon or the work that you have to start back at again tomorrow. Just try to control your thoughts and, and just listen and when I ask a question, reflect on the answer that comes to your mind. This is with every head bowed and every eye closed. Christian, for you who are in Christ, do you believe God loves you? Now you and I know that there's a difference between intellectual agreement and felt agreement. Christian, does it feel like God loves you and is for you? If yes, then amen, may that be so. If not, if it doesn't feel like God loves you and is for you, then what is keeping you from truly believing that God is lovingly for you? What's the answer? Are you currently suffering greatly, medically or, or relationally? Are you in some unfavorable circumstances, maybe in your marriage or at work? Or maybe there's just this terrible memory that you have in the past that keeps coming up every time you think of God's love and you say, how could God love me if he let this happen? What's keeping you from fully believing that God loves you and is for you? If you're in that place, I just want to pray for you real quick. Holy Spirit, 
would you lead my brothers and sisters into truth? What do they need to know about your love for them? Where they would be able to fully receive it. Tell them again. If you're still skeptical, let me ask you this question. What will it take for God to prove that he loves you and is for you? What has to happen for you to feel fully like God loves you and is for your good? What's the answer? Whatever that answer is, it's most likely an idol that we've fashioned with our hands. The logic says, God gave his son to stand condemned in your place. What more could he do to show you his love? If he gave you Jesus who you needed most, won't he also give you all the other things that he knows you need? Church, does that feel true? Do you know it to be true in every part of you? That God loves you. If you're still in this place of questioning and doubting God's love in Christ, then I would love to meet with you after the service and walk with you. We have leaders here who would be able to pray over you and help you understand this and pray with you that you would receive it in full. Don't leave today feeling like you're an orphaned, unloved by God. Because if you believe in Christ, the truth is God loves you. He is for you and nothing you do or anything else in the world or the universe could ever change that. Father, I thank you that your love knows no limits, that nothing can cut us off from your love, not even sin and death. In fact, Death, just simply because of your love, has become a doorway to usher us to our faithful lover. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. For those tuning in on the live stream, God, I pray that you would help us fully walk in your love. To believe it with all of us so that when we hear the words, God loves us, it doesn't fall on deaf ears or skeptical hearts. God, help us to believe your love because when we believe your love in full, we bear all kinds of fruit for the kingdom of God. Help us receive your love, convince our souls of it yet again because you are for us, you gave us your son, won't you give us everything else that we need? So God, we love you. Walk with my brothers and sisters this week and walk us into greater 
depths of knowing and feeling and experiencing your love. I pray all of this in the loving name of Jesus. Amen. Church family, if you'd stand, receive the benediction as you go forward. And don't forget, if you're still skeptical of this, I'd love to pray with you afterwards. I'm gonna pray a prayer of benediction from Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, which is most appropriate for today. It says this, may Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. May you receive that in faith. May that be the blessing upon your souls for all your life, especially this week. I love you. May God bless you in Jesus' name. Thanks for being here. Lord willing, we'll see you next week. Go multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.